Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Don't cut short the mission that God has for you. And all too often today, we find people cutting short that mission. I don't even know why I'm still here. I can't do this anymore. I can't do that anymore. Who knows, but maybe your life, the testimony of your life may be an encouragement to that next generation, even as you live your life into your later years, into troubling years, into years of of, of personal pain and, and even personal suffering. But the way that you handle your mission, the way that you live out your mission can be a very strong testimony to those that are coming up behind you, beloved. In heaven, God promises that we'll have a new body, no more crying or pain. Believers will be in God's presence and all longing or need will be completely fulfilled. Compared to the present sufferings of this life, that sounds amazing. Pastor David encourages you today, though, to remember that until that time, you have a mission. Don't cut short God's presence that you can experience right now. And don't miss out on enjoying the calling that God has for you and the blessing that you can be. Now here's Pastor David with part two of his message entitled, Tents on a Mission. in the kind of presence with the Lord as is yet to be ours. Oh, we speak about the presence of the Lord in our lives. We speak about the fellowship that we have with him in the spirit. But beloved, just as the word tells us, then it's going to be face to face, face to face. My children and my grandchildren, they live east of us, Texas and Tennessee. And we've shared about that multiple times. And we can call them on the phone. We can email them. We can text them. We can FaceTime them. and every, But how much different is it when we're face to face? You know that feeling. You know that difference. And that's what it is for you and I. To put it in Paul's language, while we're in Casa Grande, we're absent from our kids. So we can communicate, though we can have relationship with them. It's not the same, though, as when we go there or they come here. And that's what Paul says. We walk by faith, not by sight, but we are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Paul knows that when this time frame ends for him as an individual, he's going to be in the presence of the Lord. He's going to be in his presence. He's going to experience that face-to-face relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But for now, folks, for right now, we're still tense on a mission, okay? Always confident, though. Even as tense, we're always confident. Confident of at least two things as we look at this. So we are always confident knowing that this decaying body 
is only temporary. He says, man, we, we groan right now in this body. And, and I know some of us groan more first thing in the morning than others of us. We groan in a lot of ways. It's not just the, the physical disabilities or limitations that we have, but we groan in the fact that, man, we are so susceptible to the enemy's trickery and deceiving. We're so susceptible to the flesh crying out and pulling us and bringing us places that we want to go to and, and our thoughts. Paul says, man, the things I want to do, I don't do the things I don't want to do. That's the very thing that I end up doing. Man, who's going to save me from this mess? Right now, we are groaning. Why? Because we are susceptible to all of these earthly things. Because we still have a tent that is corruptible. We still have a tent that is mortal. We groan in that. We are each going to come to that time, though, of trading this tent in and getting that brand new heavenly dwelling that is, again, prepared for us. A new body that can't even begin to be compared to this current decaying one. I mean, it's like it's like two Two totally different things. We can't even begin to compare the two. Secondly, we are confident knowing that at the very moment that we leave this present temporary dwelling that we're going to be in the presence of Jesus. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior tonight, if you were to pass into eternity tonight, you would pass from this realm right into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It really and truly is, according to God's word, right outside that door being eternity, we walk through that door, and though on this side of the door we can hear his word, though on this side of the door we can experience the the, the knowledge that he can give us, but once we walk through that door, his presence is there for us. Now, I don't say that for any of us to rush into that situation, okay? Because God has appointed our days. God has determined the hours that we have. And beloved, we are tents on a mission. Don't cut short the mission that God has for you. And all too often today, we find people cutting short that mission. I don't even know why I'm still here. I can't do this anymore. I can't do that anymore. Who knows, but maybe your life, the testimony of your life may be an encouragement to that next generation, even as you live your life into your later years, into troubling years, into years of of, of personal pain and, and even personal suffering. But the way that you handle your mission, the way that you live out your mission can be a very strong testimony to those that are coming up behind you, beloved. We have a great promise before us, but we dare not step into that promise before God's timing for us. We'll leave this temporary tent or we'll move into that permanent dwelling of the Lord. Now, not some home away from home fully stocked RV. No, we're, we're, we're going to be in a dwelling that was specifically designed and purposed to obtain from the very beginning God's God's fullness in our life. It's something that God designed and purposed for us, even at the point of 
redemption as he brought us to himself. He's prepared these things for us. We may not see, we, we may not experience it yet. We, we still moan, we still groan over the weaknesses and the pain of this temporary tent. But even though we're currently found in this realm and in this condition, beloved, we can, with the Apostle Paul, be confident, yes, well pleased, knowing that, yeah, we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith that the Word of God is true. And that the Spirit of God working within us is in agreement with our spirit that we are the children of God. And in that faith walk, we come to that understanding, okay, I can't hold it or touch it or even see it right now. But I believe God. I believe God. And what does that say to you and I when we believe God. What did it say about Abraham when he believed God? It was accounted to him as righteousness. Those who desire to please God have to, number one, believe that he is, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews tells us, faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Because we walk by faith, Paul tells us going on here in chapter 5, Verse 9, because we're walking by faith, Paul tells us we make it our aim, rather present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, rather good or bad. Whoa, wait a second, Pastor. I thought I didn't have to get judged. I thought that when I came to Christ, I was no longer going to be judged. No, you are still going to be judged, but it's not a salvation issue. Now it is, again, the effect and the obedience of the mission that God has called you to be on. Are you obedient to the mission that he has given to you? Again, one of the basic problems of of our nature, one of the reasons we continually struggle with with sin in our lives, I believe, is this this lack of faith. It's a lack of faith that, that, that God's presence and that God's power are all around us. I believe that it's a lack of faith that our God doesn't really see and nor will he really judge. It's a lack of faith that in the fullness of his love for us, he is the one. He and only he is the one that allows us that second breath, that allows us that next heartbeat, that has a home designed for us in glory. And beloved, when we start setting those things aside, then suddenly we become more and more susceptible to the things of this world. And yes, there is a judgment even for believers as we get in that. Every believer will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This judgment seat is what's called the Bema seat. And it's a place of judgment, but again, not as far as salvation, but for the disbursement or the removal, if you would, of rewards in our lives for the obedience to the mission that we are called to be on. The Greek bema, the Greek uh, judgment seat, 
It was a raised platform that in most of the Greek towns and, and cities that they would have, that again, the political leaders would go and from there pronounce whatever edicts that they wanted to give to that city. Or sometimes they would have a special spokesman that would come and stay uh, there at the Bama seat raised above the others. He would be able to declare, again, uh, announcements and events that are going on in the city. It was also the seat where the judge of sporting events would be posted. That was also called the Bema seat. And there he would disperse the awards to those that had been a part of that sporting event. Now don't confuse the Bema seat with the great white throne of judgment that we find over in the book of Revelation chapter 20. Because for the believer, our sin has been dealt with at the cross of Christ, past, present, and future. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from most unrighteousness, all unrighteousness, all unrighteousness. So we will not be judged as believers according to our sin, but we will be judged according to our faithfulness, our obedience, and the works of service to the Lord and to his church. We will be judged on our obedience to our mission. Now there's an abundance of scriptures supporting this. I'm just going to give you a couple of them right now. Again, the whole understanding of the rewards or lack of rewards for the believers. Paul tells the church of Rome, Romans chapter 14, verses 10, 11, and 12. He says, why are you judging your brother? And again, he's speaking of Christian brothers. Why are you judging each other? For why do you show contempt to your Christian brother? For we, we as, as Christians, shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Now, if the Bema seat, a judgment for our salvation, then suddenly we have to say, then we must be saved by works. Because that's what the judgment, that's what the Bema seat judges, our works. And so, beloved, it's not about our salvation. It is about rewards. We get that also from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, 14, and 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. 13, 14, and 15. Paul writes that each one's work, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it, that day of judgment, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work, what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Understand what he's saying there? And he's speaking about our, our works, our, our gold, silver, and precious jewels versus wood, hay, and stubble. Some of the works that we do in this life, man, they are glory to the Lord. They are honoring to him and to his church. They are gold, silver, and precious jewels. Some of the stuff that we do in this life, man, it's just wood, hay, and stubble. I've done it because I get the accolades of man. I get, I get a good pat on the back and, oh, people can see me, what, what I'm doing for the Lord. Hey, did I tell you what I did for the Lord this week? Oh, 
oh, let me show you what I did. And suddenly it's all about me. That's the wood, hay, and stubble stuff. Every man's work is going to be, again, tried, judged. If any man's work is burnt up, if it's wood, hay, and stubble, that guy, that gal is going to suffer loss. But it doesn't stop there because he goes on to say, but he or she self will be saved yet so as through fire. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Paul tells the church, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. It's not our point, our place, to bring that kind of a judgment. No, the Lord's going to reveal. The Lord's going to reveal the attitudes of the hearts and the intents of the hearts. He's gonna, he, he knows. He'll, he'll make that very clear at that point in time. And so this Bema seat, this judgment seat of Christ, is a place of revealing. It reveals the private intents of the heart. It reveals the hidden secret things. It reveals those choices and those actions that, that are known only to you and to the Lord, both good and bad, those things that may very well be absolutely worthless, that man may give you great accolades for, but yet in the Lord's eyes, they become absolutely worthless. For some of these things that, again, go before the Lord on the, the, the Bema seat, some of these things we're going to receive rewards, while others, the actions will be burnt up with the useless deeds of the flesh. That's the understanding of 1 Corinthians 3.15 when, when Paul tell, told us up there, if, if any man's work shall be burned, he will suffer loss, but, or, or he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire. The great white throne of Revelation, that's the judgment against the wicked and the saved. Whereas the Bema is a time of accounting as to the faithfulness of the master's servants to the mission that we're called on. Paul is speaking to the church when he reminds them here in verse 10, back in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now with all that in mind, Paul moves on. Verse 11. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are of a sound mind, it is for you. This is all part of that same battle that Paul has had, both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians always having to defend his ministry. And I'm sure that he just tore Paul up and we even see it in his words. Man, I don't want to go boasting, but I'm going to tell you what I've done because you, again, are the ones that are bringing all these accusations. I'm going to tell you what God is working and doing, but I'm not going to boast about myself. 
He goes on in verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, then those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Read that, look at that with me again, verse 15. Verse 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that he died for all. Christ died for all. That's not universalism. That's the fact that when Christ died, the blood of Jesus Christ is available for the salvation of all, okay? But it's not effective for all until they come by faith to receive it. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Paul knew what it would mean for those who rejected the gospel message to fall into the hands of an angry God. He said, oh, the terror of our God. And that's why his desire was to persuade all men everywhere to come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, even at that, he knew full well that his call was to clearly proclaim and to faithfully live out the good news and the message of the good news in front of a lost world that's all around him. And as Paul traveled all throughout the Roman Empire, he came into villages and communities and cities, some large, some small, and the paganism of the Roman Empire surrounded him everywhere that he went. And Paul had to live out both the message and the truth of the testimony that God had given him. He understood, man, the importance of that. Why? Because those that don't know Christ, they're going to, again, stand before the terror of God, the wrath of God that we spoke about this last Sunday as we're looking at that in Luke. Even at that, he knew full well that in the midst of all of these things, it is the Holy Spirit that's going to woo and draw men to the brokenness that's necessary to receive salvation. It's not by Paul's slick salesmanship. It's not, be, it's not because he was able to, to close the deal. No, that's a work of the Holy Spirit that draws men to God and that brings them into relationship with him. But even in his temporary tent, Paul was a man that was on full mission. He didn't put his tent pegs down very deep at all. He wasn't tied to any earthly thing. He recognized his call, and God fanned the flame of his passion as Paul continually remembered the depth of the love of Christ in spite of our sin and the severity of the death of Christ because of our sin and the greatness of the wrath of God for those that reject that gospel message. Paul understood that, and because he understood the depth of all of that, that's why his passion was so deep. That's why he continued on against every attack of the enemy. He recognized the death of Christ was sufficient for all that would call upon his name. He knew that as men came to Christ, they too, they had to die. They had to die to self. They had to die to the desires of their own flesh. They had to die to their own plans and their own purposes and then live 
according to the call and the direction given them by Christ. We're so glad you joined us today on The Open Word for Pastor David Landry's verse-by-verse teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. You can find more messages from Pastor David and information about The Open Word by visiting our website, theopenword.com. If you're looking for a church home and are in the Casa Grande area, why not join us for a time of worship and Bible study? Calvary Chapel Casa Grande has services each Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. and at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesdays and Saturdays. You can find location information and directions by going to theopenword.com and following links to the church homepage. Now here's Pastor David with some information on how you can help support the ministry of The Open Word. When we began The Open Word radio ministry, our heart's desire was to get the message of God's kingdom and His grace to as many as possible. We knew that there'd be many who wouldn't come through the church door, but would perhaps tune into a radio program and be challenged and changed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the teaching of God's Word. God has given us a vision to see this ministry expand and reach even further. And yet, as with any ministry endeavor, there are expenses that happen through the production and distribution of these messages. If God has blessed you with the teaching, would you prayerfully consider partnering with us in a financial commitment to the ministry of The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help the message of God's grace extend and grow. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all the time we have for today. But join us again as we continue digging deeper into the book of 2 Corinthians, right here on The Open Word. Make us more and more.